invite you to turn to Psalm 51. We're just transitioning here. Psalm 51. It's a good morning, man. We're uh, hanging out in uh, Psalms here uh, for a bit. Um, oh, yeah, we got ushers too. Man, there's so much going on. One of the things, um, just to, to speak into this, or just to mention this as well, um, Lynn just got back on Friday, was his first day back after a, a two-month sabbatical, and, uh, and I will actually be going on a month-long uh, part of the sabbatical that I was given seven years ago <laughs> and never got to take. Um, and so I'm... I'm finishing up that part of the sabbatical here. Uh, we're supposed to get a sabbatical um, every seven years, and so I'm um, coming up on, on the next one as well next year, but uh, really appreciate uh, the graciousness of the church, and I think I can speak on Lynn's behalf. It's, we, you know, we just spoke on that sermon, Psalm 103, uh, of benefits, and uh, it is something certainly we don't deserve or expect. It's a very gracious benefit from the church, and we just want to say thank you. Um, thank you very much for it. So, so Pastor Sean will be preaching here over the next uh, four weeks uh, while, while I'm out. But, um, Psalm 51. Uh, there, was, uh, there was once a famous king, um, really famous, started off not so famous. I think that's how they all start, right? Um, he was just a young uh, teenage teenager out um, watching his sheep. He's young, passionate, um, loved the Lord, wasn't corrupted, wasn't tainted by life, had a pretty good life, except maybe his older brother was a jerk to him sometimes, but outside of that, life was good, and, and life changed when he went to a, a, a battle, saw Israel, Philistines uh, lined up against each other, and this man defying God, and Israel scared, and and then he saw this warrior insult God, and nobody did anything about it. And, uh, and he got ticked off, and he did something about it, and ended up killing this giant. And uh, actually, his own words, he would say about that time that it wasn't him that killed the giant, it was the Lord that killed the giant. God moved through him. And uh, that's how the story of King David starts. And God says of David... This is a man, a young man at that moment, but a man that was after my heart. You don't find that said of anybody else in the Bible. God said that of David. This man is after my heart. Not to say that that wasn't possible and that other people didn't have that same kind of passion for him, but it's the only time God ever described that of someone. But something happened to David in his mid-40s or 50s, somewhere around in then, sent around in that time, he ends up sleeping with this woman who was married. She gets pregnant. He has her husband sent up to the heat of the battle so that he would be killed accidentally by the enemy, right? And then he marries a woman. And you look at those events and you think, man, David drifted so far. 
you don't drift that far overnight. That kind of spiritual drifting takes months, years of crossing the line again and again and again until one day we wake up and we're doing things we never thought we would ever be capable of doing. Saying things we never thought we would ever imagine ourselves saying. David covered his tracks, he buried the evidence, and pretended like nothing ever happened. Ends up taking this woman, Bathsheba, as his wife, buries it for 10 months, and pretends that he, he's getting away with it. Pretends. I mean, that's typically what we do. We pretend like we're getting away with it, but the reality is we're not getting away with it. God sent a prophet, Nathan, to confront David brought it all out. David kept the charade up even while Nathan was talking and and lying to Nathan until Nathan finally had to deliberately and specifically accuse David and not just question him but say, you are the man. This is what you have done. God told him, gave Nathan spiritual knowledge of what had happened. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote after that confrontation. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out all my transgressions. I'm quoting from the NASB, not the ESV that we have, or you may have. Wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the secret part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will convert to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. O Lord, open my lips and my tongue will declare your praise for you don't delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in sacrifices. Then, and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your grace to fill this room up. I 
pray for your presence to uh, invade this time. Not invade, Lord. You're, you're invited here. This is your room. Touch us. Fill us. I pray, Lord, right now, just in your name, Jesus, we take a stand against any deception, any lies of the enemy, that this morning is a time for truth, a time for grace, a time for mercy. Speak to us, Lord, this morning. Continue to speak to us as you have through the singing and the sending out the youth and now. Amen. This psalm is the heart cry, I think, of anyone who has encountered God and has had those moments where he has come and said, you are the man or you are the woman and we are face to face with our sin. It's this heart cry. Uh, what do you say in those moments when you have been caught and undone? And his cry is, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Please have mercy. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. What David deserved was death. He had committed murder, his crimes against Bathsheba. And you could say, well, you know, she had a choice. He used his power. He abused his power. His crimes against Israel's army as the high commander. He violated an oath to protect his men. His, his sin against the nation of abusing his position as king. There's just so many different things, and he says in this moment, Oh, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Please have mercy. You know, there's this defining moment David has, whether he is going to break or whether he's going to keep going in the lie. It's... Nathan was there, Nathan was pushing it, and David kept it up. And the thing is, the reality is, when we sin and we bury it, we have to create a false reality. We have to lie. And lie not just to others, but we have to lie to ourselves. We have to believe it, because we got to sell it. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, uh, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in that. It's a great movie about a father who is a con artist who trains up his son to be a con artist. And there's this moment in the movie, almost towards the end, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being towards the end, where Leonardo is sitting across the table from his dad at a restaurant, and his dad has never given up the con, ever. Never once. And Leonardo is exhausted, he's discouraged, he's overwhelmed, and he's just hoping for once to live in truth. And he's trying to get his dad to live in his truth. And he's putting this right in front of his dad and he's saying, Dad, come on, admit it. And he's, you can just tell he's hoping, hoping that he could finally stop living the con. And there's this tipping point where his dad, you can tell, is wrestling with what he should say to his son. 
the right thing or the wrong thing. And his dad ends up saying, you got to keep doing the con. You got to live the con. You got to live the con. And gets up and walks out. And you could see the wind just taken out of the sails of Leonardo. You could see the defeat. Like, that's what I've got to do. That's the problem when we don't confess and when we bury it, you've got to keep the con going. And there's moments when God catches us. And the fact is, the reality is, we're caught. We just don't know it yet. And God, in those moments, comes along and reveals that we are caught. And the question we have is, will we keep the con going? Or will we break? And David broke. You can understand why David lied. Who here hasn't lied to cover up sin? Who here hasn't pretended like you're perfect when you know you're not? I mean, that's one of the number one accusations at the church. Oh, they all pretend like they're this, but we all know. It's like, yeah, we all have done it to measure to different varying degrees. Anybody have God come and confront you on something and you refuse to admit it? You defy it, you get angry, you point out their sin, you, I, we, I've done it. I don't want to face it, right? I don't, I don't want the shame, I don't want the humiliation. It's a pivotal point in our lives, whether we will break or not. David broke. And he goes on to say, blot out my transgressions. It's a word that literally means to, to make something vanish. We think of blot out like ink and you just blot it out so it's all black. You can't read it. Blot out literally means to take it, make it disappear. Who hasn't prayed that in the middle of their sin? Oh, God, would you, would you take this away like, like it's never happened? You ever have those moments where you have done something, and, and I have, and you just literally pray, Lord, I, I, can we undo this? Can we do a redo like this has never happened, like it's a bad dream you're in, and you're just hoping to wake up from it? That's what he's saying when he says, blot out my transgressions. It's like a bad dream, Lord, just take it all away. As he goes through, he's going to use words that come out of the, the ceremonial uh, worship and what it takes for someone to be clean as they saw the sacrificial system. And David was part of the tabernacle, worshiping God regularly, leading that worship often. So a lot of these words come out of that practice. He says, cleanse me. Cleansing was the, the use of water. David saw it every day. The, the priests were always washing. The next shift was always coming in, washing themselves, washing themselves, because you couldn't come into the presence of God unless you were clean. And David says, clean me, clean me, because I can't come into your presence and I can't clean myself. And he's seeing, he's seeing not dirt on his hands, he's seeing dirt on his soul soul on his spirit 
He says, wash me, and he's, he's thinking of the blood of the animals and how the blood washes away the sin. He's seeing the stain on his spirit, and he's saying, I can't clean that. It's stained black. It's stained with lust, adultery, murder, deceit. Wash me, Jesus, wash me. He says, Jesus, he says, God, wash me, wash me, wash me. He goes on, he says, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. If you have the New Living Translation, it says, I know my sin, it haunts me day and night. Boy, isn't that the truth? When we have sinned, it haunts us. You ever have those experiences where you know you've sinned and you can't sleep, you wake up with it, you go to bed thinking about it, you go through the whole day, everything reminds you of it. That's what David's talking about. Part of it is the Holy Spirit and his conviction and his mercy not letting us move until we deal with it. Part of it could be just Satan and his kingdom condemning us because you know they lead us and tempt us and want us to sin and then once we do all you hear is the voices of condemnation you're no good look at you you're scum you're right and david says it has been haunting me he goes on in verse four and he says not only i know my transgressions my sin is before you but it's against you and you only have i sinned and done one is evil. And he finally admits it. I've sinned against you, God. I mean, and it's not that he's not saying he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba and and her husband and, and the army and his own family and everything and the nation, but he's saying, look, where, where it all starts is God, and I have sinned against you, and you're where this starts. And what's interesting is twice now he says, I know. I know, and I think that's so true. So often, I think we pretend like we don't know, but we know. We know. We live in lies, and we want to be deceived so much, but we know. It takes an interesting turn as he goes into verse 5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. Now, he's not saying that he was born, like I, I would assume, like out of wedlock or something like that, um, or is out in the fair or something like that. What he's saying is, No, there is a sin nature, there is a depravity that is passed on from generation to generation. He's saying there is something inside of me in the deepest hidden part that is inclined to sin. And he goes on to talk about this idea of I know what's going on, that nature is there. So he says, behold, you delight truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And he's saying, look, this is what I need you to do. You, you've got to do this in me. You, 
I know what you want. You want truth in that place. You want wisdom in that place. And the putting of truth doesn't happen magically. It happens as we break in our soul and in our spirit. And we can fake it all we want and pretend all we want, but when it breaks in the secret place and the heart of hearts, then we know truth is there. Then we know wisdom is there. David moves on from this confession, these first six verses of confession and declaration to now just calling out to say, this is what I need you to do. Verse 7, he says, purge me or purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The, the, the hyssop was a, a flowering plant that they would dip into water. The priests would dip into water or dip into blood. And they would sprinkle it on things or sprinkle it on people or they would paint, literally paint the blood onto something. And it was this either a purification thing or a cleansing thing or a setting apart action. And he's saying, God, would you do that? And you can just imagine God just doing this with blood. David saying, I need to be cleansed. He says, wash me, which is, again, that reference to what we just talked about. He says, I'll be whiter than snow. He's seeing the dirt and the, the drastic impact of God's washing. can take something that is dirty and filthy spiritually and make it pure. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Right? Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. I think it's interesting that he says, let me hear joy and gladness, because the reality was he hadn't been. You ever sin and not confess it, and you realize how gray life becomes, how joy is literally sucked out of your life? Jesus says in in, in John 15, he says, obedience brings joy. The, the joy comes as we obey. Joy is blocked when we disobey. Joy doesn't flow anymore when we're in sin and refuse to confess. Anybody missing joy? And, and we can do all the happy things we want, things that can make us laugh. We can try to distract ourselves ad nauseum, but it does not change the reality that there's no joy. Joy is never contingent on circumstances. I've seen people who have lost loved ones in tragic ways filled with joy. Joy doesn't, doesn't depend on what's going on around you. Joy is a reality of God in us and an unfiltered, full access to his relationship and presence. That's joy. It's never dependent on circumstances 
And he's saying, I don't have joy anymore. And it's because he's in sin. And he refuses to confess. You ever have those moments when you have confessed and joy floods your soul? Those moments are so sweet. When you're right with God, again, you're just like, oh, Lord. And, and really, nothing has changed around you, but everything has changed in here. You're like, oh, Lord, just give me more joy. Just more joy. More joy. Just. And the thing is, you can, as you grow in obedience and that joy becomes more and more just who you are, you can discern joy in other people and the absence of joy in people. It comes with growth and maturity. And there's sometimes, I think we as Christians see people and we go, where's the joy? We even see our brothers and sisters and we see, where's the joy? David says, let the bones you have broken rejoice. Now, God didn't obviously literally break his bones, but it, it's symbolic of the weight of God's confessions. It was literally crushing him. We use this word in Christian community, breaking. Are you broken before God? This is what we're talking about, the weight of conviction breaks us. David literally felt like his bones were breaking. The word actually is translated literally pulverized. And it's, it sounds like the world and Satan would say, that is, what kind of God do you serve that would break your bones, like that would put such conviction on you that you literally feel like everything is breaking? And David says, I'll tell you what kind of God. I'm going to praise my God. I am going to thank him for the weight of conviction. I'm going to praise him for it because it sets me free. I'm going to praise him for it because he's forgiving me. The weight and the crushing was mercy and grace. The world says, run from it. And David says, I'm going to praise you for it. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Goes back to this uh, phrase again that he's already said er earlier of blot out my iniquities, hide your face from my sin. Lord, just please don't look at it anymore. And then he goes to this verse 10, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. And this is critical because what he says here is, I can't do it. And that's the journey of every God follower, every Christ follower. The journey is to realize there's no vows that we can make of self-improvement that will clean us and create the right spirit in us. And so he's saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me because I cannot do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And the Christian life is one where we keep coming back to this crisis moment of rediscovering only to rediscover it again and to rediscover it again that we can not do it. We can't clean ourselves. We can't renew anything in us. 
And so we just say, cleanse me, cleanse me, renew me, purify me, do this created in me because I can't create that. It goes on, verse 11, cast me not from your presence, don't take your spirit from me. And that's what it feels like when we don't confess sin and we refuse to listen to God. It feels like he's gone, he's taken his presence from us. But what it is, in fact, if, is this. If God's over here, we've turned our back on him. He's right here. He hasn't gone. He's not leaving. But we refuse to look at him because if we look at him, we're going to have to what? Break. Confess humble ourselves. He's feeling like God is not there, which is often the feeling that we have when we refuse to confess. The problem with this passage is I have far too much practice at it. This is one of those things where I didn't need a commentary, unfortunately. Oh, I know what it's like when God is distant because of my own sin. It's awful. And he just begs, and I think like so many of us have, oh God, don't take your presence from me. Please don't take your presence from me. And, and that prayer and this confession is simply repentance, right? All wrapped up and that's to turn directions and go the opposite way. And as soon as we do, he's, well, he's there. And he's been there all along. He hasn't written you off, and he hasn't written me off. You're not alone. You're not rejected. He's right there. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, coming back to joy again. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, these ideas of God, I can't do this. You've got to do this in me. And verse 13 starts these vows that he starts to make now. He says, if you do this, then I am going to what? Teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to thee or turn to you or return to you. And, and what he's saying is, and I think this is fascinating, is when we discover the mercy and the grace of God and he restores us and he cleanses us and he washes us, what is the first thing we do? Mission. We tell people. How do you not tell people about this? How do you not share your story? How do you not tell people that God is that good? How do you keep that in? You can't. The first reaction to the good news of forgiveness and salvation is, I gotta tell somebody. And I think sometimes we get so used to this, we forget how amazing it is. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Have we, have we forgotten that? Your grace is enough for me. I just talked to someone who received Christ this past Friday from our church, and he just said, Scott, I can't believe how different I feel. Like, it's, he's like, the weight's gone. He's like, I just, he says, I still can't believe. It. That was Friday. He says, it's still gone. 
That's what you do. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. He's like, God, if you deliver me from this because he deserves death, the death sentence, I'll just sing of your righteousness. That's all I'll do. That's, that's my song. I'm a one-song man. Goes on, oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then he says this, you don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would get of it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices, God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh, God, you will not despise. David's saying, God, you don't like it when we fake it. If you're here and you're faking it, guess what? God's not impressed. This doesn't count. It's kind of discouraging. If you're here and you're just pretending and going through the motions, it doesn't help you. What God loves is someone who's broken. He's like, I'm not here. I'm not going to fake it. I don't care what people think. A broken heart, a contrite spirit, that's what God gets up for. That's what pleases God. He makes one final request about Israel. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He, it's a prayer for his nation. David starts acting like the king. He starts caring for his own people, thinking of them rather than himself because he knows what he's done could end up harming Israel. It's a great turn. I don't know how to end this other than we're going into communion and uh, invite those who are serving to come down front. And we may have to pull some people. I don't know if we got all the guys there, but uh, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you guys can start handing this out. If you're visiting with us, we'll, we'll serve this and take it all together after everybody's been served. Um, if you follow Christ, we'd love to have you be a part of that, whether you belong to our church or not. Um, you're part of the family. Um, if you haven't made a decision about what you believe about Christ, we would ask that you wouldn't participate in this because it is sacred. And, uh, and Scripture warns that if someone takes this who is not following Christ, uh, you'll bring judgment on yourself. But uh, when David says, wash me, and these are the things I would just have you consider as this is getting passed out. Uh, Paul says, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Make sure your heart is right before God. If you have sin, if you're hiding and you've been running from God and you've been keeping the con up, break. Break this morning. Let your will break. Let your pride break. Let your whatever break. Be undone before your God. And ask him, cleanse me. 
Cleanse me from, from my sin. Wash me. The blood of Christ. We sing it, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. It, it, it's the blood of Christ that washes us. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us.